This program is about unsolved cyber mysteries. What you're about to see is not a vulnerability report. It's Unsolved Cyber Mysteries, Volume 3. In July of 2001, a number of seemingly disparate factors came together to drop a never-before-seen bomb on the early Internet of Things. Its name was Code Red, and it was to go down in history as one of the first big-time worm attacks. Up until the turn of the millennium, most computer infections had worked their way in through malicious email attachments masquerading as some holiday pictures from your aunt or uncle. Do you remember when downloading your favorite Blink-182 song had the potential to completely melt down your family computer? and get you grounded for a week. But as the internet became more and more easily accessible, the world became increasingly interconnected by a web of servers. Although many are run by large corporations and government entities, we nevertheless have to admit in hindsight that these reputable institutions had a woefully poor understanding of the security risks that came along with the very networks that they were creating. In short, the vulnerabilities were ripe for the picking. It didn't help that a huge number of these servers were running the same software, Microsoft Internet Information Services, or IIS, which, like so many Microsoft products at the time, were riddled with security issues that required constant updates and patches. In fact, Bill Gates' software was so buggy in the late 1990s that early security-minded hackers reported being bored with the ease that they were able to, quote, smash windows. And that was the lay of the land in July 2001, when two researchers at EI Security, Mark Mayfert and Ryan Permer, who just happened to be looking into IIS security issues at the time, suddenly found their test server not responding. This was the first glimpse of the new worm. The researchers immediately began looking into its characteristics, and because nature abhors a vacuum, they gave it a name, Code Red, an homage to the fact that they were drinking the new Mountain Dew flavor, Code Red, when they made the discovery. This small detail not only confirms some of the cliches about people who work in InfoSec and their relationship with energy drinks, but it also led to the team being gifted crates of the stuff by Mountain Dew owner PepsiCo. But I digress. So what did this new virus do and how did it do it? Well, to answer that question, I'm first going to have to tell you about buffer overflows. For a worm to infect a server, it first has to bypass the security system. The code red worm did this with a buffer overflow attack. Imagine the login page of any secure system. The login function has the crucial and tricky job of responding to queries and, most importantly, determining whether the person making that query is an authorized user. The first step that Code Red took was to ask for access to a certain file, one that in fact didn't exist. It would then log in in a way that exploited a memory buffer bug on IIS systems. By providing a login string that was way too long for the available memory of the login page, Code Red would cause the memory to overflow into adjacent memory locations. And when you can control that overflow, you can also insert the code for your worm into the overflow and breach the server's security. So let me offer you an analogy. Imagine a very crowded party happening at the edge of a cliff. Guests keep arriving until it's so crowded that some of the guests are forced off the cliff. Soon, hundreds of them are plunging into the murky waters below. Then, imagine someone has the bright idea to tie a note to one of those fallen guests' ankles that reads, party cancelled on account of people falling to their deaths. In this analogy, the guests are the characters in the excessively long login string, and the note is the virus. The pile at the bottom of the cliff, that's just physics. 
Code Red was a cunning worm. Once inside a system, it not only replicated itself, but it also scanned for other vulnerable servers and spread rapidly from network to network, infecting hundreds of thousands of servers worldwide in less than 24 hours. Sometimes it spread at the then unprecedented rate of 2,000 infections per minute. The immediate impacts of Code Red included the disruption and defacement of computers on any infected network. The websites served by infected servers were defaced and visitors would arrive to see the message, welcome to worm.com, hacked by Chinese. As more and more systems became infected, internet traffic began to lag, leading the Internet Storm Center to issue a code orange alert and the FBI to declare the worm powerful enough to bring down the entire internet. Our techniques and training must be more sophisticated. Bit dramatic if you ask me, but you know. Is it just me or do other security peeps feel old saying the Internet Storm Center out loud? Just asking for a friend. Across the world, frantic sysadmins watched as their networks fell victim to the worm some crashing and others grinding to a glacial pace as Code Red ate up their bandwidth. But there was another interesting thing about Code Red. It was on a very specific schedule. For the first 19 days of a month, the worm did nothing but look for other servers to infect. Then suddenly between the 20th and the 27th, it turned its attention to launching denial of service attacks on a specific IP address. In this case, it attacked one of the IP addresses that belonged to the White House mail server, which ultimately had to be shut down. This focused attack ratcheted up anxiety across the globe and fueled speculation that the worm was actually the first real instance of cyber warfare. After all, there was that note about being hacked by the Chinese. Then, strangely, between the 28th and the end of the month, the worm went to sleep only to begin the cycle all over again on August 1st. Before the first virus could be tackled, a second Code Red virus was discovered, a new variant that mimicked the first one but was capable of scanning twice as many ISPs for vulnerabilities. The details surrounding the second virus are too numerous to get into here, so let's get back into the main story. Throughout that August and into September, the battle against Code Red raged on, with Microsoft issuing updated IIS security patches while ISPs and system administrators finally began putting network filters in place to thwart the attacks. And as Code Red continued to wreak havoc around the globe, media coverage also started to heat up. Mostly sensational, the news focused on the possible geopolitical implications of this newly interconnected world, ushering in a new understanding of what cyber warfare might come to look like in the not too distant future. So, who was the culprit? We'll likely never know for sure. Was it, as many speculated, a Chinese state-sponsored attack? Possibly. In April of 2001, US-Chinese relations hit an all-time low after the Hainan Island incident. A US spy plane had collided with a Chinese jet over the South China Sea. Shortly after the incident, Chinese hackers declared a week-long campaign of attacks against US systems. During this time, they successfully broke into many US networks, including those of the Labor and Health Department, where they posted messages such as beat down American imperialists or left eulogies for the downed Chinese pilot. Members of the Chinese hacker collective involved called themselves honkers, which translates to red guest in English. So was this new code red worm a continuation of those earlier attacks? Or was it just another case of hackers earning global notoriety just for the bragging rights? Well, if so, no one was doing any overt bragging. Some skeptics in the security community have even suggested that the worm may have been created by the very team that discovered it on that Mountain Dew fueled July evening. We just don't know. No, no, no. What we do know is that by the beginning of September, as the worm woke up and entered its third cycle, the combination of patches, diligence, and security upgrades had successfully blunted its impact around the world. And within 10 days, all news of the worm in the press would be pushed aside 
by the shocking events of September 11th. It may be hindsight, but it's worth noting that Code Red could have been prevented altogether. In early 2001, Carolyn Meinl, a hacker and self-described super forecaster, had penned an article for Scientific American pointing out the risks of poorly secured systems. She had also tied her concerns to the rise of cyber attacks associated with the Chinese government. Minor was a controversial figure in the hacking world, but her super forecasting approach, which is in itself controversial, did underline a simple truth that we in the security world take as gospel today. It takes an army of allies to defeat an army of adversaries. The world of super forecasting could easily make up an entire episode of Unsolved Cyber Mysteries. And although it's a pretty quirky, optimistic discipline, it's modeled on a concept that's near and dear to my heart. That idea is that if you unleash enough human ingenuity onto something, you can proactively solve most problems before you need to react to them. It's the basis of everything we do here at Bugcrowd. Cybersecurity is a people problem. Technology just makes it go faster. In the end, Code Red's greatest legacy is that it was a wake-up call to the perils of an increasingly interconnected world. What I remember about Code Red is the way that system security experts began demanding more robust security from the products they were using while consumers who were shaken by the idea of a worm in the first place were introduced to the idea of responsibility and the need to do security checks, patches, and scans as a part of their daily routine. Mundane? Well, not really, when you consider that in 2001, there are about 479 million internet users globally. Today, there are over 5 billion. Suffice to say, modern day security professionals are confronted with an intensified challenge. But today's challenges are just the beginning, and tomorrow's fight will bring its own twists and turns. Until next time, I'm Casey Ellis. Stay curious.